The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Dr. Thomas Cowan, who has studied and written about many subjects in medicine. Dr. Cowan has served as Vice President of the Physicians Association for Anthroposophic Medicine and is the founding board member of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Today we're discussing his book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart. Dr. Cowan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. So what inspired you to write this book? Um, well, I guess two things mostly. Uh, one is in, in part of my, um, I guess you could say training in anthroposophical medicine, which goes back to the uh, mid eighties, 1980s. I had heard that the heart is not a pump, which is what Rudolf Steiner said, who started anthroposophical medicine. And he said it was one of the most important things for human evolution. And, of course, that wasn't what I learned in medical school, and that wasn't what sort of the cultural understanding or the scientific understanding was. So that, of course, intrigued me to try to figure out who was correct here. And so after some number of years, I... uh, basically decided Steiner was right and everybody else was wrong, and that that started me on the path. The other thing was I had heard that uh, blocked arteries don't cause heart attacks, or at least not most of them, so that was another major disconnect from what I had learned as a doctor and what is sort of culturally uh, accepted, and so I tried to reconcile that one as well, and uh, that's why I wrote the book. So what got you interested in practicing medicine? Uh, I would say it was kind of a destiny thing. You know, my I kind of grew up, my father and grandfather were dentists, and I sort of knew that I was, you know, that's kind of, it was like expected of me, although I must say I kind of hated the whole idea and didn't like doctors, even though a lot of my parents' friends were doctors, and I didn't like the way they think, and I didn't like the way what they did, but as soon as I could reconcile that there was another way to be a doctor, then I was okay with doing it. So is that what got you interested in anthroposophic medicine? Uh, yeah, at the time, you know, I first heard about it when I was in the Peace Corps in Swaziland. So I was basically trying to 
sort of escape and try to figure out anything but being a doctor. So I was interested in uh, agriculture and gardening and uh, growing food. And that's where I heard about Weston Price and that there is a dietary approach to health and Rudolf Steiner, that there is a whole other comprehensive way of looking at the world and the human being and health and illness. And so that got me interested and able to, you know, even consider being a doctor. So um, you're saying that that you don't agree that the heart is a pump, So, um, which is what most people understand it as. So can you just explain that first, what, what our basic understanding um, in general is about the heart? Right. So, the, you know, most people refer to the heart as a pump, and some people say, yes, it, it's a pump, but it does other things. It's a spiritual organ or neuroendocrine organ or a whole lot of other things, but everybody agrees the heart is a pump. And so just to be clear what I mean by that or what is meant by that, a pump means a uh, pressure propulsion device, which means that the squeezing of the walls of the heart generate the pressure that propels the blood around the body. So we're really asking the question, what makes the blood move around the body? And the answer in conventional science and medicine is the blood pushes it because the walls of the heart squeeze. Now, if you examine that, uh, what you find is that the blood is, the blood vessels are in essentially, a, uh, if you put them end to end, would be around three times around the earth. So there's a whole lot of blood vessels in the body. They start uh, exiting the heart in large uh, arteries called, uh, well, called large arteries, and then going down to arterioles, and then capillaries, and then venules, and then veins, and then back to the heart. So there's a circuit. And again, end-to-end, three times around the earth, if you lay them side-by-side, it's about the size of a football field. And inserted into that circuit is a approximately one-pound muscle with variable thickness in different parts of the muscle. So the first head-scratcher in this is how is it that a one-pound organ can generate enough force to push viscous, sticky fluid with stuff floating in it, meaning stuff like red blood cells and white blood cells and platelets, how is it possible to generate enough force to push all this blood all the way around the earth? The answer is, of course, it's not. And if you actually measure the pressure that that would take to generate, it's about a thousand times more than the heart can generate or more. So the first thing, just looking at the face of it, it's actually kind of absurd. Uh, The next thing is, in this circuit around the around the body, it's going the fastest, the blood that is, as it enters and exits the heart, and then it slows down and slows down, and then when it gets to the capillaries, it essentially is going either very slow or even stops. And that must be the case because at the capillaries is where the tissues, uh, where the blood offloads the oxygen and the food and picks up the carbon dioxide and the waste products. So it's a bit like if you're going on a bus from San Francisco to New York and the bus is going to stop in St. Louis, uh, 
and offload passengers and take on new passengers. It's like I tell people, if there's no engine in the bus in St. Louis, I'm not getting on the bus. Because you can't possibly have a push from behind, and then it goes slower and slower, and then it stops, and then the blood gets going again, and somehow the entire movement of the blood is from the push from the beginning. That's simply just impossible. And the third major reason, and there's a whole lot more, but I'll just highlight the main three, is that when you look at the exit uh, vessel from the heart, it's called the aortic arch, it's shaped like a U-shaped tube, and it exits through from the aortic valve from the left ventricle. Now, if we're talking about pushing all this fluid around the earth three times, or even one time, or even half a time, you, that's a whole big pressure uh, that's generated. So you would expect, because the tube, the U-shaped tube is flexible, that like if you put a garden hose on a spigot outside your house, and it was shaped like a U, and you turned the water on really fast, the garden hose would straighten out. But, and you would expect the same thing to happen in the aortic arch. The reality is, with each systole, or so-called push, the aortic arch bends in further, which makes absolutely no sense. You can't possibly be generating that kind of pressure and the outflow to bend in. So when you put all those things, and there, there's a whole lot more, but I don't think I should go into that right now, you come to the conclusion, which I came to, not that the heart is not a pump, that why, why do, how could we possibly believe it's not a pump, but more how can anybody possibly believe that it is a pump? Because there's no laws of physics or water hydraulics or engineering that kit that's square with what I just described. So if it's not a pump, what is it? So Rudolf Steiner actually said it works more like what, what he called a hydraulic ram or some people would call it an impedance device, which means that the, the first thing to say is that if you, if you understand the model that I just described, the, the start of the movement for the blood has to start at the capillaries where the blood has stopped. And in fact, that is where the blood starts moving. So the blood starts moving at the capillaries and then it goes up the so-called venous tree and as it goes up the tree, it goes into, it gets compressed into smaller and smaller vessels. Well, the vessels themselves are larger, but less, less area. So it's a bit like if you could imagine a wetland that gets compressed down into a river. As you narrow the river, then the water goes faster and faster. And that's exactly what happens as you move up the vein. The water goes, the blood goes faster and faster until it gets to the heart, and then the heart stops the blood, i.e. an impedance device. And just like you put a hydraulic ram into fast-moving water, and you put a flexible, uh, expandable tank behind the gate, the water comes in or the blood comes in, 
expands the tank behind the gate, in this case the ventricle, that creates positive pressure on the incoming side and a negative pressure, i.e. a vacuum, on the other side of the gate. When that pressure differential builds up enough, the gate opens and the blood is distributed to the various parts of the body. So there's no pumping, there's no squeezing, there's a essentially a passive filling, and then the gate opens with no particular energy needed. This is a much more efficient system for moving fluids, and so that's what I would say the basic function is. Now, it gets a l- more complicated than this because <clears throat> when the blood comes into the heart, it's moving in a what's called a laminar flow, and that doesn't have enough energy in it. So the blood converts this flow into a vortex, and you can see that by, I mean, Leonardo da Vinci first identified that 500 years ago, and that's been proven that the blood is converted into a vortex, which increases the energy in the blood, and then it's literally distributed to the different parts of the body. So that's what the heart does. Um, well, it it sounds like you know if we're not understanding that we're um, there's a lot that we're not understanding at all, and we may have a lot of things wrong about what's actually going on in our body, especially when it comes to heart disease and cholesterol and everything else that is such a big deal these days. Right. I mean, it, you know, I describe it. It's People have often said, well, what's the difference whether it's a pump or not? I mean, the first difference is it's certainly nice to know that if you, you know, go to get something fixed, the person who fixes whatever it is um, knows what the use of that thing is. It's like, I sometimes jokingly say, it's like taking your BMW convertible into the car mechanic and say it doesn't run right. You come back the next day and it's filled with dirt and flowers and, and, and herbs. And you say, why did you put dirt and flowers in my car? He said, well, I thought it was a flower pot. So <laughs> it's, if you're going to fix something, it's nice to know <clears throat> what it's supposed to do. And we, in my opinion, and by the way, it's not just my opinion. There's very prominent cardiac anesthesiologists who agree with me on this. Um, it's nice to know what the heart is doing, but yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, we're going to talk more about it after this break. Um, we're talking today with Dr. Thomas Cowan, and we're discussing his book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, and we'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Did you know that nearly a third of Americans have made us the number one country in obesity rates in the world? It's true. It's time for Right Choices. Tune in every week for the show that aims to make you healthier. You don't need a lot of time, money, or even need to travel far. Host Dietrich Wright will show you what you can do easily to be more fit, healthier, have more energy, and live a better life overall. Be sure to make us a part of your weekend every Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Dr. Thomas Cowan, and we're discussing his book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart. So, Dr. Cowan, before the break, we talked about, you know, not understanding even how the, the heart is working. But but you also mentioned that, that blocked arteries don't cause heart attacks, which I think is a lot of people's understanding of what, what heart disease is. So, so, when we have a blocked artery, what's actually happening there? Well... <clears throat> I think the first question is <clears throat> probably what do I mean by blocked arteries don't cause heart attacks? And then we can talk about what a blocked artery is. But it's, <clears throat> of course, less pressing to understand why and how we get blocked arteries if they're not the reason for heart attacks. Uh, they, they do have relevance, which I can speak about. But So the issue is, If you ask every layman uh, and every cardiologist and every family doctor, why does somebody have a heart attack, they may give you different answers, but when you get right down to it, the answer is because we have these three major vessels bringing bringing blood to the different areas of the heart. They're called coronary arteries, and through time and through certain situations, the arteries get blocked with plaque, and then the blood can't squeeze through, and then the area downstream from the blockage 
uh, it doesn't get enough oxygen in food, and it dies, and that's what we call a heart attack. So the first, uh, I'd heard about this about 15, 20 years ago, that this was not the entire story. And so I've done a lot of investigation, and on one of my websites I posted all the studies that are relevant to this. But the biggest one was done by an Italian pathologist who uh, did autopsies on people who died of heart attacks for 40 years. And what he said was that exactly 41% of people who die of heart attacks have a blocked artery to that area of their heart of any significance. And of those 41%, half of the blockages came after the heart attack, not before which means we have an approximate answer of 20% of the people who have a heart attack have a blocked artery of any significance leading to that area of the heart, which means that 80% didn't, which then begs the question of why did they die of, of, of a heart attack if they didn't have a blocked artery? Because we're told that that's the only reason people die of a heart attack. That's why we do bypasses, stents. That's why we put people on cholesterol drugs and low-fat diets. That's why we, that's essentially modern cardiology. Now, the first thing I thought of with this was when I heard about it, besides those are the facts, most people who die of a heart attack don't have a blocked artery. Uh, so then I started thinking and researching into this more. And, for instance, if everybody would agree that, the, that whatever's in the blood that's supposedly blocking your artery is in all the blood because there's no other possibility. So it's in the blood, in the splen splenic artery, in the hepatic artery, in the femoral artery, etc. So, for instance, if it was high cholesterol, which it isn't, but if it was, the high cholesterol is in all those arteries. And so they also get blocked with plaque. But how many people do you or anybody else know who had a spleen attack or a liver attack or a foot attack? In fact, the only organs that have these, quote, attacks are the brain and the heart. So, that led, so there must be something different about the brain and the heart than all the other organs. The second thing that confused me is I often, as a doctor, had patients who came in, you know, 50-year-old guy, walked up a hill, had a little bit of shortness of breath, maybe some pain, goes to the doctor, says, does an angiogram, which is they squirt dye into your heart, says you have a 95% blockage. If you block any more, you're going to have a heart attack and die. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, if this guy has a 95% blockage and that's the only way the blood gets to the heart, which means he only has 5% blood flow, number one, how, in, how is it possible that he walked up this hill without keeling over? And number two, you mean to tell me that if you block from 5%, which is essentially no blood flow, to 3%, say, so that extra 2% is what's going to kill you, and frankly, I didn't buy it. There's, there's no way. Uh, and, sec and third of all, or I don't know which number I'm on, uh, <laughs> over the years, all the studies that have done with coronary bypass and stents and angioplasties 
have shown little or no improvement in survival, little or no ability to prevent a further heart attack. They just relieve pain and help with symptoms. In fact, it's actually not allowed to tell somebody that they will live longer because of this stent or bypass. So that makes me, that all that and more, of course, but all that made me think there's got to be other reasons why people have heart attack besides blocked arteries, and the studies confirm that that have been consistently done since the 1940s. So um, do, are we understanding um, what's happening? You know, if the blocked arteries aren't causing the heart attacks, what is? So with pretty much all heart attacks, there's a very clear and defined sequence of events. Uh, the first thing that happens is we have an autonomic nervous system, which is a, one of our two nervous systems, and it's divided into a sympathetic and a parasympathetic chain. So the sympathetic is the fight or flight, and the parasympathetic is the rest and, de- and relax and digest your food. And with almost everybody who goes on to have a heart attack, they have a decreased tone of the parasympathetic nervous system leading up to the time of having a heart attack. Uh, So that is caused by stress, caused by diabetes, caused by high blood pressure, caused by bad food, and just caused by sort of the American way of life or civilized way of life, you might say. It's very stressful, uh, and it, it, it depletes your your essentially your nutritive nervous system. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you have a sympathetic stress, like an emotional or psychological or physical stress, and that changes how you 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 can uh, make fuel. It changes how you convert glucose into fuel. The normal way is through oxidative phosphorylation in the mitochondria. Under the sympathetic nervous system activation, it starts, it moves into the cytoplasm in something called glycolysis or fermentation. And that's it. It's also called going anaerobic, and it's basically our backup system. When our backup system is activated because of low parasympathetic tone and sympathetic activation, you start fermenting sugar and make lactic acid. Wherever lactic acid is made, say if you run too much and you make lactic acid in your leg, you will get cramps and pain, which is what happens in the heart, and we call that angina. The difference between the heart and the spleen and the leg and the liver is those organs, if they start building up lactic acid, they shut down, and that's fine, and then the blood flushes the lactic acid out. The heart and the brain can't shut down, so they keep going. The lactic acid builds up more and more. That prevents the calcium from getting into the cells, which essentially paralyzes the muscle, which is what you see on nuclear stress tests and echo stress tests. You see a so-called dyskinesis or a failure of the heart to move. So that's the next thing that happens. Then the the lactic acid continues to build up. You get an acidification of the tissue, which then destroys the tissue, and that's what we call a heart attack. Now, once the 
the, the heart stops moving properly. The arteries inside the heart start breaking off little pieces. That's the explanation for that, which we don't have any other explanation, which is why you see blockages happening after the heart attack, not before. And that is exactly the sequence of events that causes heart attacks. So if we're um, not understanding things quite the way they're happening, there must be other things that, that we have wrong when it comes to heart disease. So what is the relationship of cholesterol with all of this? Uh, cholesterol has basically no relation with heart disease. Um, the only reason you see elevated cholesterol in some, but by no means all people with plaque buildup, is because it's a bit like what I describe to people. If you go to a city and there's a lot of fires, you'll probably see a lot of fire trucks. Now, you wouldn't say, well, we should get rid of the fire trucks because they're causing all these fires. The fire trucks are there because the people know there's a lot of fires and they better buy fire trucks. So if you have weakening of the blood vessel walls through things like inflammation and other things which I describe in my book. The last thing you want is to have a whole blow in your artery, which would be the end of you. So the body does what any sensible body would do, which is to shore up those weak areas. And the only way that it can shore them up, which is so the, the root of the cause is essentially inflammation and poor gel formation of the water, which I, I don't think I'm going to go into right now. But let's just say inflammatory destruction of the walls of the vessels. So the body then uses calcium and cholesterol to shore up the vessels and essentially to repair the dike. And, so to, and that's why you sometimes, but not always, see elevated cholesterol with people with heart disease because they have a lot of inflammation and they need to make a lot of cholesterol in order to repair the damage. Only a silly person would think that the problem is cholesterol and therefore get rid of the cholesterol. So what, what happens to us if we're reducing our cholesterol with medication when it's not even necessary for heart disease? What happens when you lower the cholesterol with drugs, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you cause trouble. The trouble includes a muscle weakness. Um, you know, the statins are carcinogenic, which is why they were originally not able to be marketed, because there was a thing called the Delaney Clause, which said that any substance that causes uh, cancer in laboratory animals can't be prescribed or, or sold on the market. So the answer was <laughs> to get rid of the Delaney Clause, uh, which is clever. Uh, I must say it's very clever, but that's what they did. Um, there's a very good book on this called How Statins Really Lower Cholesterol and Kill You One Cell at a Time. So it basically poisons your ability to generate energy, which is one of the most fundamental things that a uh, human being can do is generate energy. Statin drugs interfere with that, partly by lowering the levels of CoQ10 in your tissues and blood. So they cause a lot of troubles. Um, they cause uh, memory loss, 
Uh, your IQ lowers on average about three to five points for every uh, for a person who's on long-term statin therapy, and your muscles get weaker and uh, other things as well. So people should definitely look into the pros and cons of statin therapy uh, if they're considering that. Anyway, well, the cholesterol isn't causing the heart disease in the first place, so it's sort of a moot issue. Well, and then and then causing all that damage as well. I know when my friend's um, mother was diagnosed with dementia, the uh, specialist told him never to take statins because um, he had such a high risk of developing dementia himself, and then the statins could contribute to that. Except most doctors, I guarantee, will not tell you that. Mm-hmm. Even though it's very clear that, like I said, the average person on statin therapy loses three to five points of IQ, which means you're dumber than when you started. Uh, that doesn't appeal to me, for instance. And, right, if you have any risk of dementia, Alzheimer's, memory problems. There was also a guy, an Air Force pilot, who, a flight surgeon, who wrote a book called Lipitor, which is a statin thief of memory where he has documented what happened to him and thousands of other people of having uh, basically global amnesia as a result of taking statin drugs. The reason is behind all these is because as well as depleting CoQ10, cholesterol is the mother's uh, precursor substance for all the steroid hormones, vitamin D, and many other repair substances. So if you want to make tires, you better have rubber. If you want to make repair hormones, you better have cholesterol. And if your goal is to lower the cholesterol, you will lower your ability to make the, the substances which are crucial to life. Um, we're, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Thomas Cowan, and we're discussing his book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart. We'll be back shortly. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. 
Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Today, we're talking with Dr. Thomas Cowan, and we're discussing his book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart. So, Dr. Cowan, we talked about, you know, what heart disease is. um, What can we do to prevent it, especially if we have this wrong understanding of, of what's causing it? Obviously, what we're doing isn't working. So, what would you recommend that people can do? So, you know, the as I think we said, that the understanding of what to do has to follow directly from the understanding of what the problem is. So the problem is basically three. One is there's decreased parasympathetic tone. That's number one. Number two, there's a difficulty of the blood, uh, particularly the red blood cells and the platelets, to move through the, the microcirculation, otherwise known as the capillaries. And then three, there's the buildup of lactic acid, which is the sort of final common pathway through which all heart attacks have to go. Now, those are the three main reasons people have heart attacks. Now, these are all, to a certain extent, recognized and, 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 and worked with in conventional cardiology. So with the balance of the autonomic nervous system, they give beta blockers, which block the sympathetic, which sounds similar to supporting the parasympathetic, but it's actually not. Uh, So there is a medicine which is made from a plant called strophanthus. It's an African vine, and it makes seeds which have an active ingredient called wabaine or G-strophanthine. And the the function of G-strophanthine, which has been used as a heart tonic and a heart attack prevention and heart attack treatment medicine for at least 60, 70 years, particularly in Europe, uh, with pretty dramatic positive effects. So its first effect is to support the parasympathetic nervous system. It's essentially a parasympathetic tonic. So people who take strophanthus in some form have an increased parasympathetic tone. So that's the first reason people have heart attacks. The second thing it does is at the concentrations it's used therapeutically, unlike what doctors who even know anything about it think, it is not an inhibitor of the sodium-potassium pump. Rather, it's a stimulator of, of this pump, which then 
uh, makes the red blood cells and platelets less swollen and therefore easier to navigate the microcirculation. Uh, that's also recognized as by conventional cardiology because that's what uh, aspirin and plavix and blood thinners do. Now, the problem with aspirin and plavix and other blood thinners is they, make, they increase the tendency to bleed, which causes all kinds of problems. Strophanthus extract doesn't do that, but it does improve the microcirculation as like aspirin and plavix uh, also do. So that's the second reason. The third reason, and this one there is no equivalent in conventional medicine, is, lac- is strophanthus extract converts lactic acid, which, as I said, is the central player in the, in, the, in the evolution of a heart attack, converts it into pyruvate, which is used as a fuel by the heart. So essentially it converts the poison into a nutrient, so the heart gets the food it needs instead of the poison which, which, which affects it or kills it. And there is no other substance that I know that does that, it's basically nature's way of flushing out lactic acid from the heart cells. So <clears throat> this medicine, Strophanthus, used to be available widely in Germany. It was even sold over the counter, and now it's only one compounding pharmacy in Germany that will make it. The rest of them either went out of business or were bought up, and they discontinued it. And so the only real source of it left is a extract from Brazil, which I've been working with for about 12, 15 years, where they take uh, strophanthus seeds, soak them in alcohol, uh, and make a essentially a tincture or an extract of strophanthus seeds. Now, we and another group in Germany have tested this for contaminants and for G-strophanthine wabaine content and found that it has about one milligram per milliliter, which is a relevant dose. And what I did was um, essentially got the, the rights to sell the strophanthus extract in the United States because I wanted to make a program where we made this available uh, to practitioners. So practitioners can call my office and we talk for about 15 minutes, uh, usually with a small group. I explain how to use it, and then they can get it for their patients. And the two main reasons we wanted to do it like this was so that, A, so that people would have somebody looking after them, somebody supervising their therapy, and, B, more, even more importantly, maybe, is besides having somebody looking after people, we wanted people practitioners to use it and then report on their effect. You know, this person stopped having angina and this person didn't have a heart attack for 20 years or whatever, or negative things if they come up, which don't happen much. And so we've been doing this for about six months, and we've got about 20 case studies, which are pretty dramatic in in improving people's lives with heart disease, improving their stamina, helping their rhythm, helping congestive heart failure, reducing edema, all, all kinds of positive things. And what we're hoping to come out of that is a pilot study, of, uh, some papers, some published information on what one can expect by using strophanthus, 
which is essentially a non-toxic uh, alternative to the conventional cardiology. So um, when, when people are, are using this, I mean, I guess um, you've been doing this study for six months, but what is the, art co- the outcome from, um, you, you mentioned the symptom perspective, but would that fit into the regular testing for heart disease as well? Are people seeing changes on that level? Yes. In fact, we, we, the, what I'm recommending is for people to do stress echoes because with a stress echo, you see the heart move, and the heart should move. That doesn't mean it's pumping, but it's certainly uh, expanding and contracting. And so you can uh, do a stress echo, and you can see the ejection fraction, which is the percentage of blood that exits the heart compared to what the percentage of blood that enters the heart, uh, which itself is interesting because one would expect it to be 100%, you know, all the blood that enters exits, but the reality is for a normal person it's about 60%, which happens to be exactly the efficiency percentage of a hydraulic ram. So uh, 60% of the blood that enters comes out with each, with each contraction. And if you're dropped, I had one patient who dropped to 19%, which is not very compatible with an active life. So you've only got essentially 20% of your normal blood flow. Uh, and you can't do much at that level. So after a month of strophanthus, the uh, ejection fraction was up to 43%, which doesn't happen with any other medicine or therapy that I know of. We, we also do this with a diet, which is uh, good fats, low carbohydrates, and with strength training program and with some other things like beet juice and some other natural medicines. But strophanthus is the key. So we see that. We see improvements in stress echo and other parameters of heart function. You don't see improvement in cholesterol because there's, that's not the point, and strophanthus has no effect on cholesterol and not much effect on inflammation either. That one should try to accomplish with the diet. So um, with the the diet, when you're talking about um, good fats and and all of that, can you just uh, elaborate a little bit? I know that's new for some people. Well, unlike what we've been told, sorry, a healthy heart (laughs) diet is, and this is the diet that, that basically all the people, traditional people, who never had heart disease, there is many of those groups. And they pretty much have a liberal fat. It could be grass-fed butter or ghee or coconut oil or olive oil or, you know, eating fish or grass-fed animals. You know, it could be a lot of different sources. But healthy fats, um, modest amount of protein, whether fish, meat, chicken, eggs, dairy products, etc. Lots of vegetables and very low carbohydrate diet. That is essentially the heart-healthy diet, which lowers inflammation, nourishes the heart, and lets people uh, have better heart function and stamina. So um, when you talk about carbohydrates, are you just talking about grains, or are you talking about other carbs as well? I mean, any carbs. But specific, I mean, the worst of them are, you know, refined sugar and, you know, simple refined carbohydrates like sugar and 
etc. High fructose corn syrup, you know, that's that kind of non-food edible stuff. But even even whole grains, and even you know any even eating too much fruit is not good for your for your <clears throat> metabolic function, insulin, and your ability to create inflammation. The predominant calories or food intake should be fats, proteins, and vegetables. Okay. Um, And a moderate amount of protein. I know um, a a lot of people in North America are actually overdoing protein. Uh, You know, we're we're eating all this meat and and not understanding how to balance. And and I think the paleo trend is sometimes also taken um, out of context where people are just like, I need meat. So what is um, a, a proper amount of protein? So I tell, and all this is uh, basically outlined in my book. Um, but about a deck of cards sized with one or two meals a day is the usual amount that I recommend of a some sort of pure protein food. Okay, and that would be meat, or are you including um, nuts and legumes in that as well? Uh, you you could you could include nuts and legumes in that. But meat, fish, chicken, eggs, dairy products, okay. nuts, seeds, legumes. You know, it doesn't particularly matter which one. It should be more quality-based than these kind of numbers. Like <clears throat> any wild, tr- truly wild or biodynamically grown food is good for you. Any conventionally grown food is not good for you. doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Um, so it, is there any way if people have more questions about this or want more information that they can find you or your book? So we have a website devoted to, you know, um, all this information where a lot of uh, articles are posted on the heart is not a pump and from an anesthesiologist and a me- mechanical engineer and lots of information on strophanthus and wabine and what causes heart attacks and how to contact me and how to get some of the heart-healthy products that we carry and how practitioners can uh, get strophanthus or patients can find a practitioner. And that website is humanheartcosmicheart.com. We also have a website called Dr. Cowan's Garden, D-R-C-O-W-A-N-S-G-A-R-D-E-N.com. And that's where we produce and sell vegetable powders, which are designed to increase the ability of people to eat vegetables in their diet. Um, Well, perfect. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was a very informative show. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.